morning. It is good to see you all this morning. Welcome. Thank you for being our guest. As we have been, like I said last week, in Revelation for the past almost year, well, almost a year, that I wanted to spend the next few weeks in heaven, uh, that we will be discussing heaven, and last week we did, and continue this for the next couple of weeks, to achieve that crown of eternal life uh, that God has prepared for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus in a world that seems to be crumbling, that we have a hope, and our hope is fixed, it's assured, it's guaranteed for those that are born again. And that ought to bring us excitement. And I want to share with you this morning, we'll be in the book of Philippians chapter 3, but something that I want to ask each one of you. What is it that you anticipate? What are you looking forward to? Now, I live in Camp Abella, okay, and that's not too far up the road, but this is the truth. Sometimes I try to get here around 7 to 7.30 each Sunday morning to make sure I got all my notes and, and ducks in a row, if you will, so I can... I can present it to you and what God's given me all week to put the finalizing touches, if you will. But a lot of times I, I run a little behind. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have children in your house, sometimes you run a little bit behind. Now, I'm not talking about my children, but all I'm saying is sometimes things don't click and I can't leave before I want to leave or get the clothes where they need to be. But anyway, to make a long story short, a lot of times I don't get to leave in time and I'll be about 8 o'clock, and I'll ride by. I go up Highway 11, and right there in Gowansville is the Sphinx, and across the street's the junction. Okay? Now, when I turn left, something amazes me every Sunday that if I'm behind, there's people waiting on the porch to get in the junction two and a half hours before it opens. Now, I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm, I'm having a good time with this, and I'm going to tell you why. That must be some good food. <laughs> but it's but 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 my point is to anticipate eating that much that you're willing to get there two and a half hours before it opens up to sit and wait so you can beat the crowd. Just think if we anticipated Christ like that, what a world we would live in. And I want to share that with you this morning for this very purpose. You see, when I was a young man, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother and, grand, uh, grandmother and grandfather. His name was Herbert Mason, and her name was Pearl, and they were great people, and they loved the Lord. And when I was young, and I've shared this before, that my grandpa would sit outside. If you went to their kitchen and looked through the porch area, you would see my grandfather always sitting out there talking. And for many years, I thought, what is he talking about? What is he? He must have lost his mind. He was praying. He looked so forward to seeing Jesus. And I never really understood that because I wasn't a Christian at this time. And two years after he passed away, my grandmother would pass away and she would ask me to sing at her funeral. That was her final request, that I'd sing a song written by Squire Parsons called Beulah Land. Okay? And it's a very beautiful song. And then at this time, I wasn't a believer, but I sang that song because she was homesick for a city. She was homesick for a Savior. It wouldn't be but eight years later that Christ would save me, and now I understand what they were looking for. And I've never been the same. And what I want to encourage you this morning as we go through this text, that you take a clear understanding of what Paul is trying to say. And I want to ask you, 
What are you anticipating? Do you live in a world of fear? Because I can promise you that if you live in the world of fear and Satan has attacked you in a lot of directions, then he's done his very specific job in hindering you for serving God for his glory. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we begin in verse 17. I will backtrack a little bit, but I ask that you all stand as we read God's Word. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 17 through 21. Brethren, that's those who have been born again in Jesus Christ. Very simple. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they were enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their own shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Now, I'm beginning with this sermon with, with Philippians 3, 17 through 21. But we must backtrack and let me give you a reader's digest of what is going on. Philippi. This, 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 this city was named after Philip of Macedon, who was Alexander the Great's father. Okay? Is a very, very powerful commercial city. And understand, too, that there's some great historical things that happened at this city, uh, really cataclysmic events that would set its place in history. Uh, it's the place where uh, Mark Antony and Octavian Caesar would defeat Brutus and Cassius. Okay, who was Brutus and Cassius? Well, they are who killed who? Julius Caesar. Okay, so there would be an epic battle here. A great battle was fought in Philippi. But also, the thing about Philippi was, again, it was a very, very strong area, a very commercial area, where Paul had visited on his second missionary journey, according to the book of Acts. And we'll hear familiar stories about this. You'll hear Lydia. Lydia was one that was saved. As a matter of fact, the wording in the text is so beautiful. Was that Lydia's heart was circumcised to the gospel. In other words, it was opened up, peeled, opened by layers that Christ would be revealed to her and she would see Christ. Like Paul was knocked on his can on the way to Damascus, Lydia's heart was opened up. You would also hear the story of the Philippian jailer where the great earthquake shook and, and the prison bars were opened, but Paul stayed. And he ended up sharing the gospel to the jailer. So it's a beautiful book, and Paul would write this as what we call a prison epistle. Now he had four, this was probably his last. And we believe that because it was sent by the messenger Epaphroditus to, to back to the church of Philippi, but according to Scripture, Epaphroditus got six that delayed the message. But we believe this is one of his last epistles. Now, why are you bringing this up? Because this is very important. Paul is going to die. But yet he is not afraid. You see, this is where I want to backtrack in Scripture before I get into the root of it. You see, if you back up, and you don't have to follow with me if you have your Bibles, you can. But I want to back up a little bit in the chapter as Paul will begin 
uh, to share some things that will bring these last verses into context. You see, Paul was praising this Philippian church because they had supported him monetarily and prayerfully in his mission. And he is thanking them for what all they had done, but also giving them a warning against those who are creeping in. But he was trying to say, look, like you've often heard me say, that when I leave this world, I want to be known as a cross-eyed rock and roll Christian. Okay? My eyes are on the cross, my foot's on the rock, and my name's on the roll. Okay? And that's what Paul is doing here. Okay? Encouraging them. So I want to back up to verse uh, 7. I'm sorry, I'm going to go a little bit further than that. I'm going to back up to verse 2 in chapter 3, and I want you to listen to what he says. And again, if you have your Bible, you can follow me. We don't have it on screen, but listen to me. So we set the context of what is happening. He said, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evildoers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ, and do not put confidence in the flesh. That'll preach. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh... If anyone else think he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay? If anybody can brag about what's going on, it's me. Look what he says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But listen. This is key. Now this is key. Now I'm going to get some of you's attention with what I say in the next few verses. You can go, ooh, when you walk out the door. Or when you sit here. But listen to what he says. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Now listen. Everything that was gained to me, I consider lost. A loss. Because of Christ. More than that, listen. I also consider everything to be lost in viewing, view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them dung, so that I may gain Christ. The Greek word for dung is skibola, poop. Compared to Christ, those things are dung. You weren't expecting to hear that on Sunday morning, was you? What Paul is saying is exactly right. I didn't say it. God's Word says it. That compared to Christ, all things are done. And look what he says. So that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but through the one faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know Him. Listen. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Did you hear that? The fellowship of His sufferings. The man is in prison. Okay? Fellowship of His sufferings. Being conformed to His death. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Guys, this world ain't it. Not that I have already reached the goal or I am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Does Jesus have you? 
You hear me often say, you know Jesus, but does Jesus know you? Brothers and sisters, that's us. Listen, now we're getting to the meat. Well, it's all the meat. We're getting to the meat that I like. Okay. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself of taking hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think indirectly about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Keep growing, people. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. He's talking to us again. And pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and I say again with tears, that many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Now he brings cross. He brings it to the cross as his central focus and foundation by which he lives. And he tells us in verse 17, look what he says. Brethren, that's us, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. It's not that Paul was perfect, but his example is setting forth the example of Christ. How many people do you know that when you see them walk down the road, you fellowship with them every day, ooze Jesus? Does their example reflect Jesus? I have said this many times that you may be the only Scripture that people see. And either you're going to make a mark for Christ or make a mark against Him because of your own testimony. What is the example that you set? He said, join in following my example. Because everything that he's seen and everything that he said lived the life to show, look, I am suffering from Christ. I will die for Christ. I will live for Christ. But praise God, I am Christ. That whether I live this world or whether I leave it, I'm Christ. And it amazes me that if we break these verses down, I've got to ask you a couple of questions. Whose example are you following? And why? You see, he says, my example, Christ's example. Observe those who walk in Christ. Now, you will see Jesus use an illustration of sheep and goats. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about farming. I don't. I cut meat all my life on the side. But I don't know much about farming. You throw them hay or whatever. But I can tell you what, if an animal eats a spring onion, it stinks. And I know that if it consumes itself with things that aren't good, they don't look good when you butcher them up. But what's very interesting to me that I have learned about animals, especially sheep and goats, is there are a lot of similarities to them. Now, sheep and goats both have four, four chambered stomachs. They eat, they regurgitate, and they, you know, they, they chew it again and eat it. Kind of interesting. Sheep and goats both have been used for their milk. They've been used for their meat. They've been used for their hair. One's a little different than the others. But what very interesting characteristics about sheep and goats is they both are community animals. Now, I've used this illustration because here's the thing. What, what sometimes happens in the meat industry is what you call a Judas goat. He will go and get another sheep and lead him, and that sheep will follow him to the kill pen. And once that sheep's in the kill pen, then that goat will leave and that sheep is slaughtered. Sheep love to follow 
other things. They love to follow one another. Goats will do kind of the same thing. They are very severe similarities between the two. But at the end, they are two different animals. Now here's my point. What Paul will say is this, for many walk of whom I have often told you, and now you even tell you even weeping, that are enemies of the cross. They are those, and what he's talking about, that those that are in the church. Now some scholars will say whether they were Judaizers, I think they were Epicureans, and that that is a, a, a philosophy of the time where people snuck into the church and they followed the Greek uh, uh, philosophy of Epicureanism, which means hedonism, which means self-pleasure. Now go with me on this, okay? Now they look the same. They intermingle together. I'm going to tear something up before the day's over. They intermingle together. They look like goats, or they look like sheep, but there's some differences. You see, the Epicureans had this philosophy that, you know, hey, yeah, Jesus, you know, that may be good, but you know what? You need to indulge yourself. You need to follow all the pleasures you can have. You need to, man, let's take it a step further. By grace, we have been saved. So if we've been saved by God's grace and He forgives a multitude of sin, then pleasure's okay, right? You see where I'm going with this? You see, what had happened is there's two camps. One that are fans of Jesus and the others are followers. Because if you're a follower of Christ, then you're dead to the world. But if you're a fan of Jesus, you want to be in the world and have a little bit of Jesus. Now, there's a big difference. He says, walk after the pattern that I have walked, which everything shows self-denial, self-death, and 100% Christ. The others, as he said, with tears in my eyes, are enemies of the cross. Let me tell you something. If you have that mentality that, hey, I love Jesus, but I also love the world, like that shirt that a lot of people are wearing, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Let me tell you something. If you have any of the world and you have a little bit of Christ or a little bit of the world, you're an enemy of the cross. You are an enemy of the cross. Because you can't serve two masters. And that is what Paul is saying here. You either serve Christ or you serve the world. You can't serve both. And this is why Paul gets very specific in his verses here. Look what he says. They're enemies of the cross. They're enemies and they are, just, they are those whose end is destruction. Now I want you to think about this. The Greek for destruction does not mean complete annihilation. It means separation from God. They will be separated from God for eternity. Can you imagine? Did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not give in your name? Did I not heal in their, your name? Depart from me, I never knew you. Claiming Christ doesn't make you real. Does your life reflect that you have Christ? Follow His example. Look what He says. For many walk. Do you hear that? Many. He didn't say a few. He said many. And I don't know if you highlight or take a pencil, but me, I draw lines under everything. And I want to really focus on that many. Brothers and sisters, as we have been talking this week and next week, or last week and next few weeks about heaven, 
One thing that I can assure you is this. If you're not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you will not be in heaven. Many people walk as though they are Christ, but their lives will reflect that they are in Christ. They have been changed. They have been transformed. They are no longer the same. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation and you have a new, a new nature. End of discussion. But there are many that walk that are enemies of the Christ whose end is destruction. But listen to what he said. Whose God is their appetite. God is their appetite. The Greek in context is their belly. Their belly is their appetite. Not only belly for earthly things, but for fleshly things. For things that bring them satisfaction, they think, for a while. But yet what they do not understand is that what you think will bring you satisfaction will not. Satisfaction and fullness and forgiveness is only found in the cross of Christ. And that which you have that you think brings you pleasure will dissipate or you will always long for something more. If you don't believe that, then read Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. A man that had it all and he was never satisfied. Because the ear is never satisfied with hearing nor the eye satisfied with seeing. You search for earthly things, that's all that you will have. If you have your best life now, then there's nothing to anticipate because you don't have a grasp of Christ and all His glory. They want to please themselves. Look what he says. Whose God is their appetite? Who's your God? You see the text here is little g. Anything that you put above Christ is a God. You know, sometimes that's hard to hear. But what is it that we put above Christ? You said, Chad, I thought this message on heaven. Oh, we're getting there, but I've got to set the stage before we get there. Because unfortunately in this world that we live in, we think everybody dies is going to heaven. And everything's going to be A-okay. But the Bible tells me very clearly that if you're not of Christ, you're an enemy of Christ. Whose appetite is your own belly? Whose glory is in their shame? I want to focus on this for a few moments. We live in a world now that it's even crept, crept into the church where shame, where shame is just chalked up to something that happens every day. Who cares? Now go with me on this. And I know I have young ears in here, but I want to make a point. Listen. In the 1960s, if someone got pregnant out of wedlock, they were embarrassed. Now people are embarrassed to say they're virgins. Do you hear me? If you don't hear it from me, you'll hear it from somewhere else. So there you go. Because shame has become something that we think is negotiable. Oh, it's okay. I'm not as bad as Fred over there. And what you have seen that is so scary is the same things that crept in the church of Philippi are creeping in amongst us now. That we don't deal with sin, we overlook it. Oh, Chad, are you saying y'all too good for everybody? No, sir. No, ma'am. I will tell you the difference in a born-again believer. 
You see the difference in a born-again believer when they sin? And we will sin. There's no perfection. But that should never be used as a hall pass to live like hell. But when we sin as born-again believers, what do we do? We repent. And we turn. Because Christ is in us. And He is greater than the world. When we fail, we repent. If you live like hell and have no conviction of it, you'll make it there. Whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame. Heard Al Mohler one time in CNN, on CNN arguing because some... some uh, he was on CNN with Larry King. Not CNN Larry King. Larry King Live, I'm sorry. And he was talking to these guys who had adopted some policies they believe in their church that would be good because we need to be transforming and conforming to the world. And he said this, and it made me think, Al Mohler did, Jesus loves you when you repent of your sin, you don't when you celebrate in it. It's when you repent of your sin, not celebrate in it. And that stuck in me. Because there again, people celebrate in their sin and use God's grace as a hall pass to live how they want to live. Paul said, should we continue to sin that grace may abound more? What did he say? May it never be. Whose glory is in their shame. Who set their minds on earthly things. Now I want to think about that for a few moments. What is your most prized possession? You ever seen that movie, uh, Christmas Story? Well, that boy wanted a Red Ryder BB gun so bad he couldn't stand it. And everybody kept saying, you'll shoot your eye out. All of us have anticipated those things. You remember? You remember when you as kids? You may not have got it, but you wanted that toy so bad. You see, I've got four children. Some are a little older than the others. But one thing I've learned from my children is when I would get them that toy they wanted, and I learned this. It wouldn't be, but two months later, they play them with a box or something beside that toy. Because what happened? That earthly thing ran out, didn't it? There's no more joy in it. It's not new anymore. With Christ, all things are new. And He satisfies. He completes. He transforms and conforms you to His image. And earthly things don't matter anymore. You see those earthly things? Don't you think about this. Have you ever done any Egyptian study on history or any other Egyptians? That's an amazing culture. I like watching documentaries on it. But the Egyptians believed that if they embalmed you and packed all the stuff that you owned in the tomb, that you would take it with you to the afterlife. Well, here it is five and six thousand years and we walking by going, man, that's cool. I guess it didn't go with them, did it? Earthly things will never bring you peace. You can't take them with you. And if you've heard me say for the past two years, that that you have, one day somebody else will fight over. <clears throat> but rest assured in this. As the song goes, this world is not my home. Whatever I got, you can have it. Because I'd rather see Jesus. Amen? But listen, this is the beautiful part. For our citizenship is in heaven. 
Our citizenship is not of this world. When I went through as a missionary, I think I've shared this with you, that when I was commissioned, it was the first time that the NAM missionaries and IMB missionaries were commissioned together. And, and we were all, we were all be able to take part of this, and it was so cool. And as I'm sitting there, I'm hearing people talk in a foreign tongue. And they were being commissioned with us for North American missionaries. Other places are sending missionaries to us. Now what's interesting is they were dual citizens. They were citizens of another country, but they were living amongst us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't care where you live. We all have dual citizenship if we're in Christ. Right now is our temporary residence. But our home is in the presence of Christ. For we have citizenship in heaven from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not sitting at the junction waiting on food. We should be walking out that door waiting on Jesus. Because that, the Jesus said, what we take in the mouth, it will come right back out. But I can promise you this. Jesus Christ will never leave us or forsake us. And he who is said, he who is, is he who will always be. Does Christ know you? Where's your citizenship? Do you look like a sheep or you follow the path of the goat? You see, my citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And look what the text says. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory? I love this statement. I am 110 pounds heavier than when I got married. My head hurts. My legs hurt. I take steroids from my joints. And a lot of things are my own making. But as you can tell, I don't look like I used to when I graduated high school 31 years ago. I have changed. I have aged. My daddy told me, he said, boy, wait till you hit 40. I passed 40 a long time ago. And he was not lying. Okay? Things change. Listen, we were never meant to live on this earth forever. It doesn't matter what surgeries and Botox you get, how many joints you have replaced, you will die. It's going to happen. But the Bible tells me who will transform this body. This body. It's not going to be a body that GQ says I should have because they're corrupt too. You see, not only will He transform my body into a body that is of beauty, is free from sin, He will transform the outside, but He's also going to transform the inside. You know why? Because no longer will I have that sinful flesh beating in me. Paul says they are two things I wrestle in Romans chapter 7. I do this. Christ is greater, but there's that nature in me that I battle with. No longer will that be available because Christ will transform it all. Amen? Amen. Who will transform the body of our humble state to the conformity of the body of His glory. You see, when Paul talks about citizenship, this is language that the Philippian church would have known very clearly. Why? Ain't the Bible... Okay, let me tell you why. You see, he uses the word citizenship 
Because in Philippi, it was a province of Rome. And to be Roman, you had to comply to Roman rule. Roman rules, Roman authority, Roman dress, Roman language. Latin and Greek was prevalent here. So they would understand the citizenship. As a matter of fact, if you remember, Paul addressed his citizenship as a Roman so he could get an argument before Agrippa. He was able to use that status. Look, I'm a Roman citizen. I deserve the right to defend myself. Well, let me tell you something. We're a heavenly citizen, and Christ defends us. Amen? Who will transform my body. Now, I don't know what I'm going to look like. I'll be a whole lot better than I look now. I don't know what everything's going to exactly say. There's some scarcity to some things. But what I do know is, is I'm in the presence of Christ, and that's what matters. And if He transforms me, that's good enough for me. Because you know what? He makes me better. I won't have this. I won't have this sinful nature. And how is He going to do it? Look what the Word says. By the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. He can do it. This is what I want to close with you this morning. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. But instead, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking the likeness of humanity. And when He had came as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name. Do you hear that? I want to stop there for a minute. You know, I don't keep up with the latest rock and roll uh, trends of who worships who and who sings good. I don't keep up with a lot of that. But I know this. That if his name is above every name, then his name is above the President of the United States. His name is the President above the Russian President, the Chinese President. He established all kings and kingdoms, and his name is above every name. So understand this. They may be citizens of dual places, but the citizenship that we have is in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is above all. And that should bring you joy. He says this, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in the heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you very clearly, you've heard me say this many times, you can bow now or you can bow later, but I can promise every one of you is going to bow by the exertion of His power. You can either bow, and I pray now that you have bowed. You see, let me bring this to full fruition. Okay? My citizenship is not of this earth. My citizenship is not of this earth because Christ has transformed me. And I want to walk and I want to live 
like Christ has transformed me. Why? Because I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And He's greater than this world. And I'm homesick, people. I'm tired of going to the doctor. I don't know about you. I'm tired of seeing the things of this earth. But Jesus Christ told us in this earth we will have trouble. But I'll give you my peace. Because that peace is also knowing that this is temporary. And just like the song goes, you either sheep or a goat. I don't want to be a goat. Nope, nope. I don't want to be a goat. Nope, nope. A goat without any hope. Nope, nope. I don't want to be a goat. I want to be a sheep. I don't want to be that that walks the face of the earth and has similarities of someone who looks like a believer. I am a believer because I've been transformed by the power of God. The pretending's got to stop. And our citizenship, people, is in heaven. You know what? People say, what if we go to war? What if we lose everything I have? It don't change the fact that your citizenship is in heaven if you're a born-again believer. Well, I may suffer. That's a good possibility. You may get sick. You may die for your faith. But if you overcome, if you overcome, you have that crown of eternal life. And there's nothing greater than knowing that if I lay my head down tonight, that if today be my great getting up morning or tomorrow, that I'm in the presence of Jesus. There's no greater, greater peace. And I pray today that you have that peace. One day, people, we won't have to limp in here. We won't have to go through death. We won't have to see people suffer with sickness and disease. We won't have to deal with sin because He that overcame is faithful in His promises. And if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you look eagerly awaiting Eagerly awaiting and expect, expecting our deliverer. You see, I cannot help but think just I, I've mentioned him many times. I, I used to love the music, still do, of Rich Mullins. You see, he left this world a little soon, I thought. But it was God's plan and timing to take him when he did. And the song that went on the air and went pretty good through a pretty good audience was posthumously called My Deliverer is Coming. And see, the one thing I liked about Rich Mullins is he thought deeper than a lot of people think. He didn't say the same old things that everybody loved to hear. His words were so deep. And he would focus and think on heavenly things. And he said in the song, Jesus grew up on the banks of the Nile to hear the songs the Hebrew children used to sing. Now, what do you mean Jesus grew up on the banks of the Nile? This is where the Bible's so cool. You see, because the Bible tells me that when Jesus was born, Herod didn't like it. And he sought to kill all the small children. But Joseph and his wife Mary took flight to where? Egypt. You see, the Hebrew children used to sing, My Deliverer is Coming. God brought them a deliverer, Moses. And Moses promised, God promised to lead his children out of Egypt, and he did. But see, the story of Moses points to the ultimate deliverer, 
that is found in Christ. And my deliverer is coming, people. No matter what this world throws at me, whether I'm here when Christ comes back or whether I die before He does, my destination, my citizenship is fixed because of the cross. And I pray that yours is too. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your grace and mercy. We thank You for peace that is found in Christ. God, I pray today that if there is one that is not a born-again believer in Jesus, that Lord, You convict their hearts, draw them unto You before it's eternally too late. God, we're not promised tomorrow. I don't know when we're going to leave this world, but we can know how we leave it. And God, I pray that You would convict hearts. Lord, our prayer at this church, my prayer as a pastor, our, our focus, Lord, first and foremost, is for those who are not saved. Lord, we pray for this community. We pray for whomever may be here. That Lord, the Bible says that angels rejoice and the repentance of one sinner. Lord, we pray that You transform lives and hearts. God, for those that are here that may be struggling with many things, they may be struggling their citizenship here. Lord, give them the future. Show them the clarity that is found in our eternal home. That all the miseries that are on this earth will be changed. They'll be removed. And Lord, that awful grip of sin will be done away with. And it's all because of You. I have not done a thing. I cannot do a thing. Nobody in here can do a thing to change their eternal state. Lord, You can. There's nothing that I can do to work for my salvation. But Lord, it is a gift given by You through Your grace by Your Word alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And God, You are worthy to be glorified. And God, I pray today that wherever somebody may be struggling, whatever it may be, or Lord, if somebody is happy and content in their life, but not in You, it is a false hope. That God, we set our treasures on heavenly things, not earthly things. And that Lord... Every knee shall bow and confess that your Son Jesus is Lord. Lord, let us bow. Let us pray. Let us praise. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And all God's people said, stand and worship with us.